0: to Columbia up to Rock Hill and even in the future up to Tennessee and West Virginia that will be facing adversity with this storm and you've shown us grace, you've shown us mercy um, but we know some Lord <clears throat> have had difficulty and we pray for them, we pray for all the rebuilding that will have to happen in the lives of these families, houses that are lost um, and even Lord families that have been shattered by some passing and we pray God that you're your uh, Church would rise up, would be in the midst of all those that are needy, all those that are needing comfort, that we would come and help meet physical needs. But Lord, as we meet physical needs, we would point everyone to their greatest need, their greatest spiritual need, Christ. And so we pray the church would be the church across the Carolinas in these coming months. We pray, God, that uh, for those that are in despair, that Jesus would be their portion. And Holy Spirit, you would be their comfort through these difficult times. We ask your special help through all this, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we are uh, going to be in John 5 and Matthew 28. If you are here for the first time or picking up with us, we're in the middle of a little three-week series. We've been preaching through the book of Judges. And so we took a break from the book of Judges for these three weeks. And we're looking at three things Uh, that really make up our church, community, mission, and care. Last week we looked at community, this week we're looking at mission, and next week we'll be looking at care. We were supposed to have uh, Stephen Splon today, but he's in Columbia, and uh, he didn't have a boat handy to drive from Columbia up to Rock Hill, and he thought it might be important for him to stay there with his wife and two little kids. We did reschedule with him. The next time he was able to put us in his important calendar is in December, So uh, he will be here in December. I know he's a quite busy man, but uh, Stephen's still going to come and that'll be in December. So we're looking forward to finally having him. But as I said, we're going to be in Matthew 28 and John chapter five. Um, So we're talking about mission today. And I want to start with this quote by Paul David Tripp. Uh, He says this, trying to get us all in the mind, in the realm of what it means to live on mission. And... How easy it is to fall off into living with ease and comfort. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. That's what most people strive for. Their kids to be good, have a good job, and have a good relationship with their wife or or husband. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than a beautiful garden and nice vacations and fashionable clothes. In reality, you, speaking to Christians, are part of something immense something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. is how God is bringing us all into his story of transporting people into his kingdom and progressively changing them into Christ's likeness. And for us not to get sidetracked by things like just having a good job and making sure we have a good relationship with our wife and taking good vacations and having the most in clothes. If you have those things, that's fine, but we shouldn't just stop at those things, right? We shouldn't just stop at those things. So, uh, when we're looking at our mission statement, we're talking about joining Jesus on mission. So I want to take each one of those words, Uh, before we go in and just make sure we understand what's going on. Joining, which means Jesus is already at work. Uh, Sometimes I've been, this is our coming up January 10th year as being a church plant. And uh, so being a part of a church plant, you're in church planning world and you hear church planners when they go into cities and they say stuff like, hey, we're here so God can move. And you just want to say, hey, buddy, um, God's been moving like for hundreds of years in the city before you got here. What you're going to do is not say, God can finally move that I'm here, but instead you're going to join what God's already doing. And these traditional churches that have been here for scores, seeing people get saved. That's the same thing for us, right? We're joining Jesus on mission. There's no expectation on for you to have to start this brand new thing in the city that God's never, ever done before. You're joining Jesus. That makes it a whole lot easier to say, okay, since God's already working and it's God, I'm joining Jesus what he's doing. So we're joining Jesus. We're joining Jesus. We're talking about God Himself. We're not joining FUD, thank goodness. You're not joining Joe or not joining some other guy that that you know may let you down. Instead we're joining Jesus, the, the most reliable person in the world on mission. On mission. This is what he's called us to do is to uh, go into all the nations which we're going to see in just a second and reach those who haven't been reached yet. So we're joining Jesus on mission. That is what we're going to do. And it's all rooted in the good news of the gospel. So, uh, in Matthew 28, which I just referenced, we're going to, uh, unpack. Um, that's like the most common phrase for sermons. I'm trying not to use that word anymore because everybody says it. So we're going to observe some things in the text. Starting at verse 16 through 20. And it's really, really easy, really easy to follow. Starting at verse 16, 28, 16 through 20. This is called the Great Commission. Now 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, here it is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age, to the end of the age. Now this is the great commission that he has given to us. So previously in all the sermons, even before we looked at a mission kind of sermon two and a half years ago, as we revisit the, the mission of the church often, we went into the book of Acts uh, It's easy for us when we hear sermons on mission to just feel guilty and just think, gosh, here's another sermon on mission of fud telling us how we're not supposed to, or how how we're not actually making disciples. And I don't want to do that. I want us to not feel guilty because if you look at your life right now that you haven't shared the gospel with someone in months or anything like that, that's not the goal of this today. Um, The goal of this is for you to be so appreciative of the fact that you are saved by Jesus that you want to, and I'm not, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. All right, so... I thought, um, and I was talking with Jordan actually this past week, on the phone, he had a great idea and I want to use this as maybe a way to launch us into Matthew 28, is to not forget Matthew 27. So uh, the way that you will live on mission is not by guilt. The way that you will continually uh, feel the drive to tell people, uh, the motivation for telling people about Jesus is not by guilt, instead it's by gospel. It's by the good news of what Christ has done for you, and you can't get over the fact that He he has done that for you. And then you want to live on mission. If you live on guilt to live on mission, it'll last two weeks, and then you'll give up, and then you'll swing right back over into non delinquent kids, a good job, an understanding spouse, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. So let's look at this Matthew 27, verse 46. Matthew 27, verse 46. Can't go to Matthew 28 without 27. This is one of the last things Jesus says as he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let this text be the catalyst or the impetus that drives you into Matthew 28 to remember that our motivation for being on mission is not guilt, but instead good news. Because Jesus screams at at the end of his life on the cross, before his resurrection, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This means since Jesus has been forsaken by God, the father, because all the sin of the world have been cast upon him, you will never be forsaken by God, the father. Since Christ took all that for you, you never will get it. And since that's the case, we all can say, praise God that he did that for me. Therefore, I don't want to go spread the, the gospel to everybody just because I feel guilty. But instead, since Christ has bore the penalty of all my sin for me, and he's the one that screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't scream that because he wouldn't have forsaken us anyway. We were totally guilty. Now, since he has saved me, all I want to do then, therefore, is to live for him. All I want to do then is to uh, give my entire life for his glory. So now that we've seen some motivation Matthew 27. There's more that I want to do. I want to do there. I have more notes for that, but I have too many notes and, and we'll be here till like three. So, um, I, I, I'm just use that as your motivation, Matthew 27. And let's go into Matthew 28, Matthew 28. Um, there's a, uh, first thing I want you to see in regard to making disciples is this. So as we saw here, he used uh, all four different times in the Great Commission, all authority, verse 18, all the nations, verse 19, all that he's commanded and verse 20. And then it says to you, it says, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is all the days, literally in the Greek. So four different times he's using the word all. So it's quite encompassing as he's given us the great commission that everything is being pulled into here. All authority. He has all authority to go to all the nations. He wants everybody to obey all that he's commanded for all the days of their life. And he's telling us this is the very last thing he says to us. So it's got to be quite important before he ascends into heaven. And he says that he has all authority. And then he tells us, verse 19, therefore... Go now. Your says go. Therefore, and sometimes when we hear go, we think that we actually just got to go. And the uh, Greek, which we've said multiple times, is as you're going. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples. As you're going, make disciples. Just as we look at this go, let's just make sure we realize that in the Great Commission, there's there's three verbs, and the go is not one of them. It's make disciples, teaching, and baptizing. Those are the verbs. The go just means as you're going through life. But nevertheless, first thing we want you to talk we want to talk about is this. Go. But as we've said, this is as you're going, as you're going. Now, you may not consider yourself as a going person. Like am I going? Am I not going? I don't know if I'm going. Uh, he tells me that I'm going or he's telling me as I'm going one day whenever as I'm finally going through my Christian life, I'm supposed to make disciples. John chapter 20 verse 21 tells us that we uh, don't have to wonder if we are going or, or not yet. As a matter of fact, he's already tells us in John chapter 20 verse 21 that we're already sent. So it says this, um, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. So you don't have to wonder if you're going right now, you've already been sent. Sometimes we think of, uh, Kind of like we're sitting in a, an airport lobby waiting to get on the plane. And we're just, God's, God's sent me and now I'm, I'm going. And I'm kind of sitting in the lobby waiting for him to finally put me in the game. Uh, and that's not how it works. Instead, it's not you're saved, you go to the airport waiting room, waiting to board, and then you're finally on the plane. It's you're saved, you're on the plane. Like you're immediately going. So you don't have to wonder if you're sent You don't have to wonder if you're going, you already are going. So here, when we see this, when we see, therefore, as you go through life, here's the one thing I want you to consider is this, you're already going. So you don't need to beat yourself right up right now, wondering if you're already fulfilling part of this great commission. You are, you are actually right now going through life and there's already people around you that you're rubbing shoulders with. So there's three points today. You're already doing number one. You don't even have to worry about this. Now, what are we supposed to be doing? We're talking about the mission of the church here. And so uh, let's talk about how we got this mission. We got it from Jesus. And Jesus said in the book of Luke a couple times what he came here to do. Just as a couple of places, there's lots of places you could read, but this is a couple. Luke 5, he says, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Luke 19, as he's talking to Zacchaeus, he said, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus's mission as he came is not the exact same as the church, although there are some similarities. He came to not call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He came to seek and save the lost. And he also came to die on the cross. Now, we are not going to do that third one. That's not reserved for us. But however, the other two call the righteous uh, uh, and sinners to, call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance to seek and save the lost. We are picking up that same mission that he had. Not in the same way, but nevertheless, we're picking it up because, as it says in Ephesians three ten, that the manifold wisdom of God has been displayed. That the church is the one that picks up this mission and displays the manifold wisdom of God. That that we are reaching out not just to those that we would think he would choose, but everybody from every color and every shade are being called into his family, his kingdom. And so this is the plan that the local church now is picking up of going and calling sinners to repentance and seeking and saving the lost. That's the church's job now is to pick up as for Christ ascended. It's not that Christ was somehow deficient or incapable. It's that he chose to willingly use sinners like us to pick up this mission, which is, you know, if we were God, we said, well, we wouldn't do that. (laughs) Look at them, they're a mess. Uh, They're going to do it wrong. But yet he still, even though we're a mess, and yes, we're going to do it wrong, handed the mission over to us, ascended into heaven, but nevertheless put his spirit in us, and it's leading us and guiding us to carry out this mission with him in us. So he's telling us to go and think about people who are around us. But as we're thinking about uh, the fact that people are around us, start thinking about who are the needy people around me? Who are my neighbors? Who are the people around me? Since I'm already sent, since I'm already rubbing shoulders with, that I can go ahead and start um, living out the mission of, of, of Christ. Start living out the Great Commission. I, I don't think that the Great Commission is written in a way that, it's, that assumes you're going to completely up in your schedule and go out of your way to spread the gospel. Now, that, that, that should happen. Most of us would want that to happen, but in reality, that's not going to happen, especially in America in 2018. We've got to go to work. We've got to make the dollar. We've got to pay our bills. We've got to do all this stuff, right? So we have to do these things, and most of us can't do that. So I think it is written in such a broad, expansive way for all time periods that... Um, We would realize that we're already sent, and while we're already living our life, we're already rubbing shoulders amongst people, that we would want to live in a way in front of them that's gospel-centered, that reflects the fact that we understand Matthew 27, 46, that God in Christ has already said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we live in such a way that says Christ was forsaken and we weren't. Now all I want to do is grow in holiness, become more like Jesus and tell people that I can't get over the fact that Jesus died for me on the cross. And so as we're going through life, as we're going being sent, that we're actually going to start living out Ephesians 2.10, that there's good works already prepared ahead of us. And now we're going to walk in them. So Ephesians 2.10 says there's good works prepared for you, already in in the future, and that you would walk in them. And so going, um, think of it this way, that you're already doing it. You're already doing it. Now, let's give a little bit of an example of what that might look like. So I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between John chapter five, just because I think this is a, a good example of what that means. So John chapter five, starting at verse one. Here's Jesus giving us an example of as he's going. Remember, Jesus had a public ministry of three years, uh, approximately started at age 30, and he just went through uh, and healed people, preached the gospel, and ministered to people. He would retreat every once in a while to pray, and then would go right back out and empty himself out for the sake of the ministry. So starting in verse one, it says, Now this, now after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and, the Jew, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Just think of that as big, five big porches, like covered porches. And in this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. I remember one guy called me and he said, why is the Bible calling all these people invalid? Because one, one man lay there who had been an invalid for 30 years. It's like, why is the Bible calling these people invalid. That's mean. I was like, no, buddy, that's, that's invalids. And he's like, oh, okay, never mind. I didn't ask that. Bye. Uh, but anyway, um, so, so just picture this, all right? It says a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, and under five roof colonnades. So five massive covered porches, all filled with invalids. That's a lot of people, right? That is a lot. Just get your mind wrapped around. I mean, if, if one's the size of this room, there's five of them and it's, they're filled with invalids all around. And then it says this. Um, One man who had been lying there for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that... I, I, you should see that there is no verse four, by the way, um, but we'll come back to that later. All right, so if you keep going. Uh, One man who was there had been an in invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there uh, and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said do you want to be healed? Now, obviously this guy wanted to be healed. Now let's talk about verse four for one second. Um, well actually let me go to verse three and just point out one thing. When Jesus walked into this five roof colonnades, all filled with invalids, it would have been easy for him to say, there's so much need here. This is quite overwhelming. This is quite overwhelming. He knows he's supposed to be going. He's he's the son of God. He knows he's supposed to be reaching everybody. When he walks into there and sees all this, for for the average person, you look at, look at all this need. This is so much, I don't even know what to do. And when you walk through Rock Hill, you can say, there's so much need, I don't even know what to do. There's no reason to get overwhelmed at all the need. Jesus doesn't get overwhelmed at all the need before him. We don't need to get overwhelmed at all the need before us. Instead, he's going to walk up to one person and meet their need. Now, He's Jesus. He obviously could have done more, but I think he's setting an example for us to take it one at a time. Take it one at a time. Do what you can, and just trust the sovereignty of God to reach the other people that are around you. You can never reach them all. If you try to reach them all, you will kill yourself. You will will literally kill yourself. So even here, Jesus sets the example of walking up to them. Now, there's this one little thing there. Uh, There's no verse four, but if you look down, uh, we don't have to focus on it, but. Basically, it tells that this pool here, they believe, has healing powers. Now, whether it has healing powers doesn't really matter. It probably doesn't. But nevertheless, all the invalids there thought it had healing powers. That's the point. So, uh, one man was lying there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So, somebody that's been an invalid in this time period for 38 years means uh, likely his entire life. At the pool, begging, And all he wants to do is not be uh, in this life. He he has absolutely no life whatsoever other than being completely dependent on anybody to come give him food or give him money or anything. Otherwise, he doesn't eat. Otherwise, he doesn't live. It's the only way he can live is to be completely dependent upon other people. When Jesus saw him uh, him lying there, he knew that he had been there a long time. And he said, do you want to be healed? Now, uh, why would Jesus ask such an obvious question? um, because he's not mean spirited. He's not just asking like, Hey, you want to be healed? I know you're not. He's not doing that. Um, what is it that is going on here? First, uh, there's a lot of Pharisees around, which we're going to see some of their reactions. And he wants the Pharisees to hear this question because he wants the Pharisees to know that he has the power to do something about it. And cause they don't believe he's the son of God. But also he wants this man's desire to even be, in, after 38 years, surely he has, he has given up. He wants this man's desire to be increased uh, and for his um, misery to start, say, to start overtaking him and saying, gosh, I don't want to be miserable anymore, so get rid of this misery. Yes, I want to be healed. So he's trying to increase this man's desire. But we see uh, that the man only believes in one specific way to be healed, namely the pool. Because of verse seven, he has no concept of what Jesus can do, but he looks at, in verse seven, it says, the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. So there's this pool there and every once in a while it would bubble up. And whenever it would bubble up, they thought if you got into the bubbles at that particular time, then you would be healed. And so like, you can just imagine whenever, if there's, you know, 200 invalids, when the water starts bubbling how crazy it might get if everybody trying to get into the pool and he can't even move. He's like, somebody get me in there. Oh, somebody got in there. 38 years. Oh, somebody got in there. And so when Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed, this man has one way that he can see. No one puts me in. He has no concept of the way that he can, he can get healed. Calvin says this diseased man does what most of us all are likely to do for. He limits the assistance of God according to his own thought. And does not venture to promise himself anything more than he conceives in his mind. God can only meet my need in one way. And it's that pool. And we do that too. God can only meet my need in one way. And it's got to be this. And if he doesn't do this, there's no other way that he can do it. Why would we limit God? And so this man's doing the same thing. Um, Sitting at the pool for 38 years. Stuck in neutral going nowhere. Perhaps you can relate to that. You're stuck in neutral for the last 10, 15 years. Thinking that God can only heal you in one certain way. That's certainly not the case. God's much bigger than you think, and can can change your your life and upend it in in a number of different ways. Another step before me, I have no way to get in there, but you have these multitudes of blind and and lame and paralyzed people wrestling to be the first in the pool. It must have just been complete mayhem. And Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed. I have no one to put me. And Jesus said uh, to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. That's what he says to him. Get up, take up your bed and walk. Now, he says something to him that's completely different than what he ever thought would happen. He doesn't take him to the pool. Instead, it's just get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, the first thing that Jesus does as he walks in here, as he's going, is he finds a physical need and he meets it. Just one. He could have he done tons, but he goes and he finds a physical need and meets it. So, as we're going back over to this going, and we're thinking about what going could look like, there's lots of people around us, and we're already going. And as Jesus walked into scores and scores and scores of people, he didn't get overwhelmed. He found what he could do with his station in life, where he was, whether he's in I'm transitioning over to you, whether you're in college or whether you're an empty nester or whether you have lots of kids or wherever you are, he knows that there's a limited amount that he can do with his station in life or maybe there's an expansive amount with his station in life. If you're a college student, you just got tons of time. Um, And he knew where he was. You saying, yeah, you do. You have tons of time in college. Trust me, whenever you get my age, you really realize you don't have a lot of time, but when you're in college, you do. I learned, to hold, I learned to play guitar in college. I never played guitar before, and I learned to play guitar completely in college. So you've got tons of time. Anyway, um, so whenever you are, are going through life, you have, you have time to be able to do this. But the first thing as we're seeing is, since we're already going through life, God's putting people around us. What, the thing I want us to get down about number one is, as you're going is, you're already doing this. You're already doing this. There's already people around you and you can, just like Christ, not overwhelm yourself, find someone that's needy around you and meet their physical need. Now, that's not necessarily carrying out the Great Commission completely. Obviously, there's a lot more to carrying out the Great Commission because it says in Matthew 18, it doesn't say, go meet all the physical needs of everybody. It says, make disciples. So we're getting there. We're getting there. But nevertheless, looking at Jesus, first thing that we can see Is as you're going. I think we can meet physical needs now. Matthew 28. Let's keep going. Verses 18 through 20. It says, "Go therefore, make disciples, make disciples." So that's number two. Make disciples. Now, um, I grew up in a Baptist church my entire life, uh, and so for me, being a Southern Baptist, uh, make disciples meant just meant get them saved. Get them to cross that line of faith. Ask them to pray the prayer. That's the goal. Once they pray that prayer, they're golden. I mean, they are, they are heaven bound forever. Just, just get them to do that. Get them to close their eyes and repeat after you. Now, <laughs> that is making a disciple, sure. I mean, I do believe that people actually get saved that way trusting and putting their faith in Christ for what he's done on the cross, praying to receive Christ, asking for forgiveness, repenting of their sin, etc. But in this context, in Matthew 28, making a disciple is not just getting them saved, which it is, it is that. So that, when my Southern Baptist brethren, can we say brethren? Like, that's right, that's right. But that's not all a making a disciple is. It felt like growing up, that's all it was. Because w- once you did that, you're like, good luck. You know, and I... I've got to go to the next guy and get in a Bible study or, you know, do the, the, the magazine. I can't remember what it's called Uh, that you got the in his steps, whatever it was journey, something like that. Um, it's going to bother me for the rest of the time, but, but that's not, that's not what this means, right? That's not what this means. Making a disciple here, obviously it tells us in the text, what making a disciple is. So it is that, but it tells us, go therefore make disciples of all nations. And it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So it actually gives us some definition in the great commission of what making a disciple is. So the the parentheses perpetual, the perpetual great commission is making the disciple or sharing your faith with them, evangelizing them. So they put their faith in God, but then baptizing them, where they have a public profession of faith, the initial faith, but also teaching them, teaching them, as it says, to observe all that I have commanded. And let's just make sure we, we, uh, we highlight something about the teaching for, I think this is maybe, especially at Remedy, something we gotta make sure we get down. Sometimes teaching is emphasized that we, they need to know dogma. It's dogma to understand. It's theology to know, to be smart. That's not what he's saying here. The teaching part, while it is knowing theology, is not, that's not really the point of the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So we're teaching them, I'm not against teaching theology. You should know that by now, right? But the point of teaching is, but for the point of not having a big head of theology, the point of teaching is to have a heart of holiness, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So when we baptize, making a disciples, getting them saved, getting them baptized, and then teaching them to obey Jesus's commands. Well, that's not teaching theology. We should teach theology. I'm all for it. But in the Great Commission, our goal is holiness, not just having systematic theology down by Wayne Grudem. So it's interesting that it's not theology being theorized about, but instead learning to obey God's commandments. So here we're told to make disciples, make disciples. And it gives us a little bit of definition, which is to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that we've commanded. Charles Spurgeon looking at this says, we're not to invent anything new nor to change anything to suit the current of the age, but to teach the baptized believers to observe all things whatsoever our divine king has commanded. So the great commission hasn't changed in 2000 years and it's not ever going to change. Find the needy people, tell them, meet their physical need, but also make a disciple. So back over to John chapter five. This is what Jesus does for us in in this particular uh, story. So he meets this guy's physical need, which as you should know, if you've ever been around people who are needy, if they're hungry and you're trying to get them saved, they are going to say anything you want them to say in order to eat. Like you're hungry, I know, but let me tell you about Jesus first. Okay, yes, I believe in him. Yes, I believe him. I believe him. Yes, now can I have my food? Amen, I'm a Christian now, food. Like, so meet, meeting their physical needs sometimes is the smart thing to do first, which makes them receptive to listening to what you have to say. Then they'll ask, why did you do that? And that's when you can talk to them about Christ. But if you just want them to pray the prayer before you actually give them food, they're gonna, they're gonna say yes to whatever you want. Whatever you want. We have to cut your arms off. Yes, that's fine. Cut my arms off. Give me the food. Obviously, they wouldn't say yes to that. But you see what I'm saying. So um, start, at verse, start at verse nine into 10. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed. Now, that was the Sabbath. Now, this little excursion of 10 through 13 is the dealings with the Pharisees. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered, the man who healed me, uh, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man that said, take up your bed and walk? The man who had once healed him did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in place. So the Pharisees are freaking out. You're not supposed to work because picking up your mat on the Sabbath is apparently working. Healing somebody on the Sabbath is is a huge no-no to the Pharisees, which Jesus Helps them see, you're doing the Lord's work. You you should do the Lord's work even if it's the Sabbath. Back to fourteen. So here it is. Afterward, afterward, let's just make sure we realize when we see the word afterward, Jesus was not done. Jesus, there's always an afterward for Jesus. He meets the physical need. There's always an afterward. Whenever he does this, even though he withdrew, he knew who that guy was, he knew where he was, he had GPS on the guy, he knew where he was, he fine-friended him, he went right up to him, like, boom, it's time to know where you are. Like, he knew where he was. The whole point is this, there's always an afterward for you. When you meet someone's physical need, there should always be an afterward for you. You have just, whatever was going on in their life, created an inroad to be able to have a heart-to-heart conversation with them. Nevertheless, this is what Jesus does. You're not done after you give them clothes. You're not done after you serve them food. You're not done after them after you read to their kids. You're not done after you whatever. Those things are good. But afterward, meeting the physical need should always be the afterward of meeting the spiritual need. Listen, a hurricane just hit our two states, North Carolina and South Carolina. There's a whole lot of physical needs that we can meet right now, even in our county. But certainly if we go east, there's a whole lot of physical needs And if you do, if the Lord grants you an opportunity to go to Wilmington, to go to Florence, to go to Myrtle Beach, or go wherever, and you do meet people's physical needs, verse 14, there has always got to be an afterward for you to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about their greatest, here's your physical need, met. Glad I could be a part of it. You have an even greater need. That's what he's going to do here. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you're well. Look, basically, look, hey, look, you're healed. And then look at that. He goes right to the heart of hearts. Sin, no more. Sin, no more. He had, Calvin says, he had been cured in order that remembering the favor which he had received, he might serve his God all of his, his, all of his life. So Christ healed him because he wanted him to serve him. So he tells him, sin, no more. Not, never sin again. But basically, your life needs to look different now than it has. Your life needs to look different now. Christ, we don't get the full body of it all, but he's telling that he needs to repent. Now, if you're asking theological questions, you should say this. What sin? He's an invalid for 38 years. What sin did he do? Like, trip someone? That's it. What else could he have done? He was an invalid for 38 years. What in the world, if he can't move, could he have actually done? Which helps us realize that it's not lowercase s sins that we need forgiven for. It's capital S sin that we need forgiven. It's not the individual things which you do need forgiveness for. Instead, it's the fact that you're a sinner. You need a new nature. You, you do need your sins to be forgiven, but what you need is a new nature. You need a new heart. And so Jesus talking to him is not just saying, hey, ask for forgiveness of those little small things. Instead, I think it's you were born in sin because you're in the line of Adam. You have a dead heart and it needs to be made alive. You need to be a new person. And so you're to repent from not just sins, but the fact that you're a sinner And you need the spirit of God to be put in you. And so he says, sin no more. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why they were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was... Even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, this making himself equal to God's key, which means all the Jews knew at this time, only God the Father can forgive sin. Jesus is equating himself by working on the Sabbath, making himself equal with God. Therefore, it's signifying to the Jews and this man, he has the power not only to heal people, but more importantly, to forgive their sin. To help them be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, as Colossians 1 says, into the kingdom of the Son. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these He will show, will he show him. So that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them. So also the son gives life to whom he will. Now he's talking about forgiveness of sin here, telling them what he can do for the father judges, no one, but has given all judgment to the son that he may honor the son just as they honor him. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, When he says all of this, we get a full kind of picture now of even that small conversation, which is telling him, you want to have eternal life. All judgment has been given over to the son. Repent of your sin. Believe in Christ. Now, this this is a coming death. This hasn't happened yet, but nevertheless, um, in the same way that we look back at the cross and get saved, it's the same way that people live before the cross, look to the cross to get saved. We all look to the, the... the most important point in all of human history, the cross to be saved. And we're all saved the same way from the old Testament believer to the new Testament believer to, you know, the people that are living however long from now, we all get saved the same way looking at the cross. So here we're back to, uh, number two, which is make disciples, make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Making disciples. Calvin says this about believers not taking up the task of making disciples. Let us learn from this passage. We're looking at Matthew 28. Let us learn from this passage that the apostleship or being a Christ follower is not an empty title. Every single one of you is a Christ follower now. And that's not an empty title that he gives to you. It's not an empty title, but a laborious office. That means comes with much labor, comes with much work. And that consequently, nothing is more absurd or intolerable than this honor should be claimed by hypocrites who live like kings at their ease and disdainfully throw away themselves from teaching and preaching the gospel. You might just be saying, did Fudge just say that I'm a lazy hypocrite if I don't share the gospel? No, I didn't say that. Calvin said it, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> My whole point is this, right? He's right though, right? If Christ has saved us, then it seems to be hypocritical if we don't obey him in spreading the gospel. If we don't obey the great commission, the last thing he told us. David Platt even says it maybe more pointedly. This is not a comfort call for most Christians to come and be baptized and then sit in one location. This is a costly command for every Christian to go baptize and make disciples of all nations. Now, as I said from the beginning, my goal is not to guilt you into mission. It'll last two weeks instead for you to be motivated by the gospel. We're so overjoyed that we were the invalid laying on the covered porch that Jesus came up and said, get up and walk. Think of the joy that that invalid had after 38 years of laying there for someone to come and heal him in a way he didn't think. Think of the joy he had in that moment. That's the same joy that you and I should have and that should motivate us to go. How, how many times do you think he told the story to people? You'll never ever believe what just happened to me. Or years ago, you know what happened? I was laying at this covered colony and this man walks up and tells me to get up. He didn't even throw me in the pool. I just got up and I'm still walking around. He probably never ever stopped talking about it. That's the same motivation that we should have. Matthew 28 Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. All nations. Number three. In the Greek, this is all the ethne. This is all the ethnic groups. We shouldn't think of ge- geographical countries here. Not 176 countries need to finally hear the gospel. Instead, this is all the ethnic groups, all 16,000 ethnic groups or whatever there are in the world, something like that. Matthew 24:14 this gospel must be preached to all the ethne all the ethnic groups and then the end will come Christ has promised that his second coming which will be much different than his first coming is promised that it will happen when all the ethnic groups have been reached if you want to know if you're wondering how many ethnic groups have been reached go to joshuaproject.net they do a pretty good job of trying to keep it up with this there's 16,000 or so people groups 9,000 or so have been reached and maybe almost 10 now Uh, And so you can do the math that that many people groups haven't been reached. And some people groups have a hundred thousand. Some people groups have 50,000. Some people groups have 10 million, but we have to reach all the ethnic groups. You don't have to reach every person in the ethnic group. You have to reach every ethnic group, which is why we pray every other week um, and put pictures on the screen at the end of the service for us to remember that he wants every single nation to be represented in heaven. That's going to be awesome. And we've said this so many times, but when we get in heaven, we will be surrounded by people that don't look like us. And we probably won't be speaking English and we certainly won't be singing Chris Tomlin songs. Maybe we will, but likely we'll be singing a whole other language. I'm fine with Chris Tomlin. If we're singing in English, then, you know, we'll be ahead of the game. Right. But my whole point is that Christ has a desire for all the nations Every single person in the world is made in his image. Not just the ones that live in America that we're familiar with, but every nation he wants represented in heaven. Trophies of his grace in heaven. So make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. Now, this is interesting because Matthew tells Jews here to evangelize Gentiles. He's saying this to his fellow Jews, telling them, who had 100% locked in on the belief that this message of Jesus is for Jews, us only. We're the people of God, and these are the people that need to hear the good news of Jesus, Jews. And he's telling them in this particular time, we haven't even gotten into Acts yet, where it says that this gospel is okay for the Gentiles yet. And he's already telling them, you people who have been following me who are Jews, go reach all all the ethnic groups, He's telling people who are Jews to evangelize the Gentiles, someone they don't know well, and some people that they're probably not comfortable being around. Can you guess where I'm about to say? (laughs) People that we might not know well and people that we might not historically be comfortable being around. So yes, you can evangelize people that you're comfortable being around. God's not anti that. He's also pro you being around people that you're not comfortable being around. It's the whole point, I think, of John 5. He walks into an uncomfortable place. This isn't the place where we are going to feel at home, where all the needs are. This is the place that makes me feel nervous, like I don't know what to do and I don't speak the language or I don't know their needs that well. I can't, even, I can't even relate that well. But nevertheless, of all nations. Now, I know the direct correlation means reach all the ethnic groups, but I'm making a principle here, a principle, which is for us, 2018, certainly let's reach all the nations. We've got and this transient society, the nation's coming to us now. We don't even have to go anymore. They're literally all over America now, which is good. They're all over America. We can, we can reach the nations. Don't have to, you have to get a passport. But if we're just going to make a principle, if you can never leave the country and you can never find refugees from other countries, you can still obey this by being around people that you don't know that well, that you might not feel comfortable with, and evangelizing them. And the people that you do feel comfortable with. Your own family and then the families around you. Open your mind and expand your mind around who you can be reaching. Not just the people that you're comfortable with, but instead the people that make you uncomfortable. Because God has a desire for all the ethne, and so should we. Our prime objective should be reaching everyone. Now, Here's the good news. We're joining Jesus on mission. So the good news is that God's already gone before you. And he's already working. He's already working on and talking with and meeting with and probably had other people talking to the people you don't know well that you might be uncomfortable with. Not only that. Not only is, are we joining Jesus that he's going before us. Look at the promise at, at the end. And behold, I am with you. So not only is he promising that he's going to be there ahead of us, he's also promising that he's going to be with us as we go. So all the, all the nervousness that you might feel about this can subside. Because as D.A. Carson says, looking at this, Matthew's gospel ends with the expectation of continued mission and teaching. He's expecting his disciples to continue to obey him by reaching Gentiles, not just Jews which means the same should be for us. So go, meaning you're already doing that. You're already doing that. Make disciples, which can expand into so much more than just get them to pray the prayer. It's after that, spending a lifetime with them, helping them learn to obey the Bible, obey what Christ has said, becoming more holy. And we want to do this to all the nations. We want to do this to all the nations. So here at Remedy, our our three things are community, mission, and care. And now we're focusing in on mission today, focusing in on mission. So as we conclude this, let's think about where is it that you need to think and pray and commit and concentrate on, on these three points? Go make disciples of all nations. I am not trying to Guilt you. The ho- it's not even really what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to feel guilty about whether you have ever done this up until this point. No one's taking account. No one's asking you how many disciples have you made in your life so far. We're all starting right now, today, right here. The Lord has given us this amazing task, an amazing opportunity to live in the same church together. To be on mission together in Rock Hill for who knows how long 40 years, maybe some of us, 50 years. Think of all the things that the Lord can do through us because we have the Spirit in us if we just obey this simple great commission. Look around the needs in Rock Hill. Don't get overwhelmed at the need. Jesus wasn't overwhelmed, he met the one need out of tons. We're gonna do what we can and we're gonna trust the sovereignty of God and the other churches to meet the others. That's why we need every church in Rock Hill. And when we're doing it, we're going to meet their physical need. And we're going to tell them of their greatest need, which is Christ. And as we proclaim the gospel, them we want to make a disciple out of them, not make a convert, make a disciple. So they, they do get converted, but they also grow. We baptize them and teach them about Christ. And then we get them to join us, to join Jesus on mission. Let's keep, we'll keep widening this tent and you can do it with us until we reach all the ethne of Rock Hill. Who knows how long that'll take? We'll either die trying or, and the Lord will come get us or we'll do it all and the Lord will bring us home early. But the reason why we do this and the motivation we, 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 uh, we fulfill this great commission lies in the fact with this. Just picture yourself as the invalid laying on the porch with no hope. That's who every single one of us were before Christ. And he sought you out. Out of everyone else there, he sought you out and told you to get up, cross kingdoms, and now you're a part of the kingdom of God. And all you want to do is jump for joy and scream amen and tell everyone what Christ has done for you. We're motivated by gospel to do the mission. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my friends and myself as we think of go make disciples of all nations and as we think about those three places where we might be doing well, we might not be doing well. We, we're already sent. We're, we're, whether, we, whether we knew it or not, we're already doing number one, we're sent. But maybe our making disciples could, uh, could improve. Maybe our reaching out to the physical needs of people so we can tell them about Christ could be different. I pray for every single here, Lord, that as they, every person here, that as they've heard about the mission, they wouldn't get overwhelmed. And that they certainly wouldn't feel guilty up until this point of whether they've lived on mission now. The Holy Spirit is not pushing us to just feel guilty to do mission. And so I pray that they wouldn't do that. God, would you comfort us if we're not doing this? But also, Lord, motivate us with the gospel. Help us remember that you have been forsaken for us and that you've saved us. And now, because of that, we can't stop talking about you. Forgive us for the days that we fall short and empower us on all the rest of the days to fulfill it. Lord, we want to be used. We want Remedy Church to be used for your glory in York County. And we want every other church that loves Jesus and loves the gospel to be used in York county for your glory. Empower all the churches of these cities around us to reach the nations. You're so kind and you're so good to us, God. Help us join you on mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.